This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. Jason Roundsville here, joined as always by my co-host, Dylan Ray. And we have with us... um, Kurt Wells today. Kurt, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thanks. Hey, we are uh, excited to have you and and hear some stories from you. Why? Well, I'm I'm sure most of our people, if not all of them, are going to know who you are. But would you like to give just a b- brief background for anybody who's who's maybe brand new to to Pope and Young? Uh, I'm the editor of Bowhunter Magazine. And uh, I've had this position now for about 13 years, and I'm a host of Bowhunter TV, and we're just about to start our 19th year uh, of television. Wow. Did you ever think you'd, you'd be doing that 19 years? Uh, no, not a chance. <laughs> I mean, uh, when my boss, Jeff Waring, called me up and asked me if I was, uh, he says, we're going to start a TV show. Are you interested? And, I said, well, that was probably the dumbest question I ever heard in my life, and and it's gone really well, and I've managed to hunt all over for, go on hunts that I would never have gone on if not for the TV show, so um, it's been a heck of a ride. Yeah, what's, uh, so of all of your TV show hunts, what's, what's your favorite one? Now, that's like asking me what my favorite kid is, but, uh, so it depends um, on the day then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Greenland was uh, really a good adventure. I mean, I've hunted 10 countries in every Canadian province. And uh, 
course, the Yukon moose and brown bear hunts, uh, those are special hunts. But uh, it'd be hard to pin one down. Uh, in 2021, I hunted elk in Arizona with my two sons. So that took us 12 years to draw that tag. So wow. that ranks right up there. So Okay. Yeah, what's you have one that stands out as just like, you know what? I no thanks. I don't want to do that again. Uh nothing too serious. Australia was that was a little strange. I, I did that once. I don't need to do that again. But uh um otherwise I haven't really had too many duds. Okay. What's Mother uh, Nature, you know, will take care of you a lot of times and yeah. A lot of times she'll beat you up, but uh, I, I don't really have any one hunt. Uh, you know, Kodiak Island has beat me up a couple times, and uh, so yeah, there's a there's a few tough ones out there. Okay, yeah, it's um, how about how about that moment? Everybody has that moment, man. I'd like to have that arrow back, or I just I wish I could have not kicked that rock down the hill and spooked that mule deer out. Yeah, you have one of those that stands yeah, out. Yeah, the one that uh, gives me nightmares still was back in 2003 in Arizona, Unit 3B. I just did the great one of the greatest stalks of my life on a bull elk that was laying in his bed and just kind of grunting. And I snuck in as close as I could, and I actually ended up getting too close. And uh, he got up out of his bed and started raking a tree, and I was going to slip up there and try to get the shot. Couldn't see him yet. And uh, he quit raking a tree right about the time I was going to make my move. And he came around a juniper, and he was on the trail I was standing on. So I knew I was toast. And he was five yards on the other side of a, of a juniper. And uh, he stopped and spotted me. And it was nothing but rocks and hooves. And uh, I'd just been to the taxidermist in Sholo the day before and saw some bulls from the White Mountain uh, Reservation. And this bull was 400 plus. And oh. Could have fit his antlers five yards, way, you know, five yards, and never even got my bow drawn. Oh man, so that yeah, I wake up at night sweating when I think about that. <laughs> I was gonna say that gives you cold sweats right there, but you know, I don't know. I there, I, I think in all my days, I think there's only one bowl that I've ever even seen that I think might have been 400. And it's, uh, and once again, I don't know, cause we didn't get him down, but wow. It's when you see something that, that big, that's just a whole nother level that that's hard to explain unless yeah. you just, when you see it, you're like, Oh my gosh, that's it. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, uh, snuck too well. I should have stayed back 15 yards, 20 yards. But uh, some cows had dropped off on this little trail. I saw their legs going through the timber or through the trees. And uh, I decided I better get down to that trail. And if I, that was basically a tactical error. If I'd have stayed back 15 yards, we'd be talking on a different story right now. Wow. That hurt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and what, what people don't understand is that you, you'll, you go out and shoot another 20 30 bulls 
but you, no matter what you do, no matter how big of bulls you get, you'll never get that one back. Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just hard to, and it's kind um, of funny. I mean, uh, it's a bull I didn't get, but it's at the top of my memory. Yeah. Uh, probably number two in my memory to the first bull I ever killed, but um, it's right up there and it's a bull I didn't never even got a shot at. So it's kind yeah. of, yeah, it works. Yeah. So I, I had a situation like that. It wasn't, it was, I was trying to decide if I was even going to bow hunt this particular year or not. Cause I didn't, didn't have a lot of time. And um, growing up, the nice thing about bow season where I was is, you know, rifle season was fairly short, but bow season was long and it was really early. So you could get out in the woods before everything else got going. And, and so I just went up and, and my brother and I went up looking for blacktails and I found this really nice, really nice buck, good four by four, clearly a, a Pope and young buck. And I'm just like, you know, I'm going to see how close I can get to that thing. And here I am, you know, a couple weeks before the season. And now looking back, I realized, man, this was the dumbest move I could have done because I knew where this guy was and these don't move a lot. I mean, if I'd have left him alone, I could have come back two weeks later and he'd have probably been in this bed. You know, you check it two, three days in a row, you'd have found him. But instead I'm like, well, I'm going to see how close I can. I snuck, same type of thing. I snuck in on this and I didn't have a bow with me or anything, but I got on the trail that was between him and the timber. And I'm crawling out to see how close I can get to this buck. And I got to this log and I, and I could see his, his tips of his antlers kind of turning. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I couldn't see him and I'm like, well, I can't go over this log or, or he's going to see me for sure. So I just sat there on the backside of this log and all of a sudden this, this buck gets up and he kind of stretches a little bit and looks around and I'll be darned if he doesn't walk straight at me. And my brother thought he stepped on me because he's like that. I saw that deer stick his head over the log that you're sitting by. And so once again, it wasn't even a hunting story, but it was, uh, just that experience caused me to say, yeah, you know what? I'm a bow hunt this year for sure. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and it was kind of neat, but I, that's one I'd like to have back. It's like, you know, if I'd have been a little bit smarter about that, I'd have just left him be and come back in two weeks, but yeah, it's still a fun experience. Yeah. So definitely not a 400 inch bull, but it's still a cool experience. Yeah. It's always fun when you can see how close you can get, you know, and, and even if you, uh, there's been many times when I've snuck uh, like a black bear. I had no intentions of shooting in British Columbia or something. And I'll just do basically a practice stock. Yeah. To figure out what you can get away with, what you can't. And uh, you get in there and you get close and it's like tag, you know, it's like, you're it. I yeah. Wanted you. you were mine. And, and you, walk yeah. up, you, know, you still get that satisfaction of, uh, of a well planned and executed stock. Yeah. Now, now when you're doing the practice stocks, do you ever draw your bow just to, just to prove that you could? No, not usually. About okay, that time, the string loop would come untied or something, and then you'd have your animal. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. And normally, I don't do that, but but you know, as we all know, uh, the drawing motion is what separates us from everybody else. Yeah, and uh, the timing of that draw 
is the number one decision that you're going to make as a bow hunter. And especially when you see that in elk, uh, I watch guys hunting elk on TV and, and the bull's coming in and they're not drawn yet. And I'm just yelling at the TV, draw your bull. <laughs> and they just sit there and then the bull's standing there 15 yards and then they think they're going to get drawn. You know? Yeah, it so, doesn't happen that way. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the final move. And uh, so, um, but normally when I'm practicing a stock, I don't usually draw on it. I just see how close I can get. Yeah. That, uh, I, I don't know why, but this is probably four or so years ago. And I was, I did that. I got in on this little herd of mule deer bucks and there, there wasn't the one that I wanted, but I'm just like, well, let's just see if, and, and for some reason I drew and I settled in on this little three point. I'm like, gosh, I wonder if I could make that shot. And so sure enough, I let the arrow go. And as soon as I did, I'm like, why, why did I do that? I don't even know. Yeah. So probably not drawing is a very smart move. And it was, you know, he, he's not a book book, but by gosh, he ate really good. So, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was uh, like the whole time I was just, I, I don't know what I was saying. I'm just like, Oh, I wonder if I could make that shot. Yep. I could. <laughs> But, uh, so what, uh, what is on your bucket list? You, you've probably crossed most of them off. Is there something still out there eluding you? Well, I have not hunted sheep and, um, that's probably not going to happen unless I draw a tag somewhere. Yeah. I've hunted goats twice and, uh, did not come home with a goat and, uh, but I would like to try sheep sometime just so I can say a hundred sheep, but uh, the odds of drawing a tag are pretty slim, you know, and uh, as far as the super slam, that kind of stuff, I don't have the resources for that. I have a deer slam and I have a caribou slam, which is really hard to get right oh, now. Oh, that's yeah. And so Quebec changes their mind. That's impossible to get right now. Yeah. Yeah, and the, the good news out of Quebec last I saw was uh, for the first time in 25 years, the population actually went up. Oh, great. Uh, so it's a cycle that and uh, that caribou go through, and uh, there's some talk that they're going to start climbing out of that cycle. So that might take a long time because they were really down, and then there's a lot of dispute about the numbers and uh, what the government says there are and what there actually are for numbers of caribou but yeah when those hunts if those hunts ever come back online uh, they'll be really expensive for at first i'm sure oh i'm sure yeah well people that you know they've, they've got the rest of them and that's the last one that they need that they just can't get right now yeah so yeah so, so sheep heyday i took two or three of them and and uh that was back when you could take two a piece you know and yeah but those days are long gone yeah yeah it's just even in the last i've noticed talking to outfitters just for the pope and young you know program just over the last even four years the caribou has kind of it went from a you know, you could get a caribou for the same price range as, as like an elk or, you know, a Canada moose. And then all of a sudden now it's, it's up more in the, you know, 
mountain goat type of range. You know, it's, it's jumped to that next price level just because there's, there's not the opportunities that there were even four or five years ago. And I finished my slam by going on a DIY hunt in Alaska with uh, Jeremy Eldridge from Hoyt. And that was uh, three years ago. And uh, we flew into the No Attack Preserve, which now is closed. Um, but uh, we flew in there and killed a couple bulls. And it was all a DIY thing. So that was a good time. So you That's can still nice. do a DIY, but you got to do it in Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and none of that stuff is easy to get to. No. No, yeah. a lot of travel issues and and they've got problems in Alaska with uh, subsistence um, regulations. I mean, they're even having issues with uh, wanting to make sure that they have subsistence dull sheep hunting. Now that is getting a little bit on the ridiculous side there. No matter which side of the fence you're on, um, that's getting a little ridiculous. Nobody hunts dull sheep for subsistence. <laughs> at least not with a bow you could go pretty hungry doing that yeah yeah so anyway i mean uh, there's there's that's a whole nother subject yeah it, it's um <laughs> yeah that that whole thing i i'm not even gonna say anything on that because no matter <laughs> what i say I, we're gonna get an email i guarantee you yeah so i'm gonna stay completely <laughs> hey dylan write this down nope. Oh, I Jay thought you were going to tell me to say something. Nope. No, I was going to say, write this down. Jay actually kept his mouth shut on a topic he should have actually kept his mouth shut on. <laughs> on the so. on the 6th of March, 2023, Jason Roundsville showed great cur- <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll make a full quote about it. We will. Well, you know what? There's a press release all in itself. <laughs> <laughs> Executive Director of Pope and Young does not say something stupid on the podcast. Yeah. Yep. So... It's uh, we have a tendency sometimes to just comment whether people want to hear it or not. But not everybody's so sensitive these days. That's what drives me crazy. I mean, uh, you can't hardly say anything and you offend people, and it's a whole political issue too. But yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's anymore. You can offend people that you agree. You can agree with them on something and still offend them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't understand that. Say, like, hey, we're on the same side. We're on the same team here. How can you be offended over what I'm saying when I'm I'm literally backing you up? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know about the the new. Apparently, I, some of us aren't as enlightened as as others, and I I tend to fit squarely in that in that category. Mm-hmm. But uh, now, are you going to make Reno with us? Oh, absolutely! Excellent. I'll tell you what, we were just, Dylan and I were just at panel last week and we have 36,000 net inches of skulls and antlers and horns that will be on display. Mm, I don't know if anybody's ever had 36,000 inches of net or net inches on display before. Mm. And I think... It's it's way bigger than anything we've had. I think our, I think uh, Reno last time was our biggest ever display, and I think we had 125 animals on display. Oh yeah, 
I think this time we're set for 174. Oh, and, just, and there are some just beautiful, just amazing trophies. I mean, from from all over North America, we've got stuff from from Canada, from Mexico, all over the states. Um, just you know, I go through that, and it kind of ruins me a little bit because on one hand, you know, when you see all these just monsters. And then you get out in the field and you see what is a quality buck for 90 some percent of the people. And you're like, Oh, well, that's not going to get to panel. And it ruins you a little bit there. And also I think it sours you just a little bit. Cause you're like, man, what am I doing wrong? That all these people are killing these giant animals and I'm not one of them. So, yeah, I always walk through there and ask myself what planet these people are hunting on, you know? Yeah. Can't even imagine some of those animals that, uh, and every year they're getting these just beasts, and and it isn't necessarily on managed uh, whitetail ground or anything either, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's moose and sheep and goats. Now you got a new world record goat. Uh, on, yeah. I mean it's just unbelievable. All that just keeps happening. Yeah, and it's um. It, it just, it blows my mind. And then you see the guys, you know, like Chuck Adams, he's, he's got another potential world record. You know, I think he's, he's had six already, I believe. And, you know, here's, here's a guy on, on pace for potentially getting another one. We'll be yeah. announcing that at Reno. I think, is it Dylan, is it 14 potential world records on this one? I, I wanted to say 12, but it very well. Could okay. Be maybe it's 12. So still that's just just an incredible number when you yeah. look at the north american model of wildlife management clearly some things are being do, being done right to get those kind of numbers yeah yep do you know uh you may know this you, you've been around pope and young for a long time do you know the longest standing world record in our books or in our records program well Mel Johnson's got to be right up there. That's that's it. <laughs> Dylan, I'm going to have to start asking a harder we gotta question. we got to find a harder question. I'm telling you. you know, the that second one longest. <laughs> just, that one just shocks me because you look at it. Yeah. The number one animal chased in the U.S., number one big game animal chased, chased in, in, in all of North America is the white-tailed deer. The number one entered animal into the records program is a white-tailed deer. And the white-tailed deer is the one that has stood the longest. That one just always amazes me. I have a hard time. You know, it's not some obscure animal, you know, like a, a sheep somewhere that just nobody gets to go chase. It's literally something yeah. that everybody chases. What I what I tell everybody is Mel Johnson's book validates the scoring system. Yeah. Because yeah. in what is it? 60 years, close to 60 years with two and a half to three million bow hunters all trying, no one has shot a whitetail buck with the same combination of length, width, mass, symmetry, and, yep. and all the factors that you need to have. That look like a typical whitetail buck. How could that be that in 60 years nobody has beaten that record? Yeah. So, 
Yeah, that, that, that validates the typical scoring system as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I mean, unless you look on Facebook and then there's approximately 35 yeah. people a day who have beaten his score. Yeah. Well, I interviewed him <laughs> one time for an article. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, I asked him about how every year uh, somebody thinks they got the new world record and, and Mel was pretty humble guy. And he just told me, well, he says, every year I get a phone call from somebody in the press or media, outdoor media, saying, how does it feel to get your record broken? And I just tell him, call me back when it's been panel scored. Yep. Never call back. Never call <laughs> back. Yeah. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. You know, I mean, that's just the way the way it's gone. Someday somebody will break it, but I just there's been some close calls, but it, it will go down someday. Yeah, you would sure think. I just that one just blows my mind that 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 the number one animal entered into the records program is also the longest standing world record. Just yeah, it's, easily it's hard. the most popular game animal on the continent by tenfold or better. I mean, oh yeah not even a question you know um and nobody has beaten it yet that's pretty incredible yeah and it's it's when you talk about validating the records program i, I was because people people talk to us about that all the time you know we'll be at shows and oh yeah i, I don't and it's funny because we had the mel johnson buck at ata oh four years ago i think it was and we'd have people come up and, oh, yeah, I got a couple like that. So like, no, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> and it's, and finally, it just got to the point where I just couldn't help myself. I, you know, because people come up and I don't know how many, I'll, I'll bet 30, 30, 40 people came up and said, oh, I got a couple like that. Like, mm -hmm. honestly, like over and over and over. And so finally, I just couldn't help it. I started messing with them. I'm like, oh, I said, you know what? I said, you ever have one of those that you just like to get back? I said, you know, if I'd have realized exactly how good that buck was, I wouldn't have passed it and let my buddy shoot that. And people <laughs> just look at you like, you you passed that? I'm like, no, man, that was shot before I was born. Yeah. <laughs> but it's and it's uh it's the guys that you talk about, and it's always every single time the guys are like, Well, I don't, you know, score's not really important to me. You know, I don't I don't need to enter my stuff. And oh, okay. Then before they walk off every single time, Dylan, correct me if I'm wrong here, but every single time after somebody tells us how unimportant score is to them, do they, or do they not always ask what that buck scored? Yeah. Every single every time. Every time. Every time. Yeah. So it's, it's not important yeah, to them, but they all want to know. Yeah. It's kind of like some of these internet message boards. These guys, they know everything and there's, they're, I call them internet experts and they don't, uh, they can't admit somebody might know something more than them or done something better than them. And no matter how good you are, um, take Frank Nasca, for example, one of the deadliest bow hunters on the planet right now. And, uh, no oh, come on, don't, don't swell his head up anymore. I got to see him next month, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but some there's always somebody out there better, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it doesn't pay to talk smack because it'll get uh, put you in your place someday. Yeah, and th that's one nice thing 
you talk the tail of a tape measure, man, that ends any and all smack talking. Yeah. Cause it's, it's like, Oh, I, sh- I shot a 200 inch buck. Oh, did you, do you have the score sheet? Yeah. Yeah. It's right here. My, my buddy's uncle's cousin's nephew filled it out for me. Yeah. yeah that's what I thought. Yeah. I think another problem is outfitters, a lot of outfitters that are focused on score will uh, tell their client that, uh, oh, that's a 185-inch mule deer right there, and they shoot it, and then they go home, and it measures 163, and then it's the measurer's fault. Yeah. Yeah. Not the the outfitter. It's the measurer's fault. Well, uh, Matt, that's just not right. And these outfitters, you know, they're they're wanting to talk the big numbers. And then there's a lot of good outfitters that don't worry about that. But there's some of them that are obsessed with core and and that kind of thing. And uh, I had one young guy tell me a mule deer was 155 inches or 175 inches. And if it was 155, it would have been lucky. Yeah. But I refused to. I didn't stock it. And he went back to camp and tattletailed on me to the outfitter. And sorry, man, that was not a 175 inch buck. So, I mean, you got to right. know yourself right. when you go into these camps. You got to have some idea yourself so you don't, you know, take the word of everybody that starts throwing these numbers around. And uh, I, I typically walk up to an animal, except for black bears. Uh, I actually walk up to like white tails and stuff that look better when they're on the ground than what I estimated them to be. Nice. And so uh, that's kind of the opposite of a lot of people, but I don't get too much ground shrinkage on antlers. Bears is a different story. I get screwed by them just like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh yeah. For Dylan and I, if we get any ground shrinkage, all of a sudden we're in trouble because we just shot a doe. So yeah, you go from a <laughs> you go from a forking horn, you get ground shrinking on a forking horn, you're in trouble. You're so, not lying. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> but no, it that that whole thing just I uh, it, it's and you see it and and we've got some great outfitters that we work with, and some of these guys are are as honest as you could ever hope for, but there are some out there and the hunters believe him they're like oh he knows he's an outfitter and i'm like okay Uh, well he's also got skin in the game it's like you know are you if you're on a you know mule deer hunt are you are you more more likely to give a bigger tip if he's a 185 or a 165 you know and and some people that they would do that so an outfitter you know maybe they believe it's 185 maybe they want it to be 185 and it's just not. And then the other ones that you hear that that people have all this faith in are the taxidermists. They're like, oh, my taxidermist, he's, you know, he said it's 185. And it's like, well, your taxidermist apparently doesn't own a tape measure because yeah. that is a 163. It's still a nice buck. There's there's nothing wrong. It's the same exact quality of hunt. And so we we yeah. always encourage people, hey value your hunt and value that experience on, on what, what it was about the whole experience, not the number does not dictate the quality of your hunt. Right. It has to look good to you. Like caribou, for example, or, or that way too. I mean, 
I think Gransel Fitz and the boys, when they were coming up with the scoring system, I think they all went out and got drunk the day that they decided to do caribou because <laughs> caribou are completely different than every other animal in, in the way they're scored. So you just look at that and you say he's got nice bottoms and nice tops, you know, good good shovel, bez, whatever, you know, and he looks good to me, shoot him. And that's the only judge that matters is if it yeah. looks good you. If you uh, like the looks of the animal and you think he's going to look cool on the wall, there's nobody out there going to punish you because you shot something that was a little too small. So um, un unless you're in an outfitted place where they're telling the clients uh, 140 and under and you're going to get fined a couple thousand bucks or something. Yeah. Uh, and then you just put your client into a tight bind there because now he's got to worry about whether a particular deer is big enough or not. And I mean, I understand the motivation behind it. So you're not killing the young 130 inch five by fives, but uh, it is hard on some clients. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, all field judges are not equal. There are some people who are great at it and then others who are just not. Yeah. And uh, you know, my, my the white tail I got, the last one I got, it, it came in. I was like, oh man, that's a taker. And I didn't realize until I got up to him, you know, I, I mean, I'm in a tree, tree stand in the middle of nothing. There's just not a lot of opportunity to, I didn't even have my bow in my hand. And so I had to reach over, grab my bow. Every time he went behind a bush or a tree or anything, man, I was getting as much moving in as I could. And there just wasn't, I just didn't have an opportunity to, you know, see him like the antelope where you can see him walk in for 200 yards. And, and uh, I looked and I saw him and I'm like, man, he's good. He's got, you know, four and a brow time there. And so I, I thought he was a 10, which, hey, that's that's a taker for me. And then I got up to him and he had a, a time busted off on on the far side that I just never, never saw. And uh, but I'm still happy with him. He's still going on the wall. Yeah, I've killed many a whitetail that I decided to take because of what it looked like and the character and its antlers and uh, yeah, and the situation. And then uh, after 18 years of hunting in front of a camera, that adds another element to it too because um, at some point my standards are adjusted based on how much time I have left, how many animals I'm seeing. And uh, I've had animals that if I was on the hunt on my own that I maybe would have passed, but they come walking right. over and the sun is shining and cameras rolling and everything's beautiful. And, and it's like, uh, I think I'm going to shoot this one. And, yeah. And so uh, that's, and then there's the whole thing of, uh, do you shoot something on day one, even if it's really nice? And, and I never have subscribed to the theory of don't pass on day one, what you're willing to take on the last day, because you'd never kill anything big if you, if you went by that all the time. So my standards basically change as the, as the hunt goes along and uh, based on what I'm seeing and, you know, I'll get burned doing that once in a while. That's the way my standards plummet come December. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> it's, it's like if, yeah. if it's moving, it's going to die in December. Whereas like, yeah, what's small. funny is 
What's funny is my my dad oftentimes says he's like, dude, you sent me pictures of and videos of deer bigger than that all year long, and I'm like, yeah, but it wasn't December. Like, you know, those got to pass because it was October, November. This one didn't. Medium size, small four by four in Iowa on January sixth, uh, last day, and shot it and a doe uh, five minutes apart. And uh, we aired the show, and I had a guy right into me chewing my hind end because I took that small buck in Iowa. And uh, I sent him an email back, and I said, it's not up to you what I shoot. It's not your tag. It's my yeah. tag. I make that decision. It ain't up to you. And yeah. uh, in the situation I was in, freezer was empty. It was a rough year. I put those two deer in my freezer, and I didn't even wince. Yeah. The time I got done with that guy, he was, we were going back and forth and I still get emails from him once in a while. So <laughs> they kind of calmed him down a little bit, but don't be telling me what I should be shooting. Yeah. See, I have a sliding scale because I mean, every week Dylan and I get to talk to, you know, some of the best bow hunters on the planet usually. And, uh, you know, and every one of them tells you, Hey, if you shoot a small one, you're never going to shoot a big one. And, and if you, if you don't pass the big ones, you're never going to shoot the giant ones. And so I try to subscribe to that. So I'm like, okay, I'm holding out. I'm holding out because, you know, admittedly, even, even fairly recently for me, I was a tag puncher. I'm, I wanted to be a, yep. You know, when you, you're at the coffee shop or wherever, Hey, did you get your, did you get your buck this year? Yep. Did you get your bowl? Yep you know, Pope and young has changed that for me. Cause I want to, you know, participate. I, man, I'm hoping I get something called the panel someday. And, uh, so I have started being more selective in what I do and, and it's been a mental change to, to go that way. Uh, just cause that's not, you know, like you talk about, that's growing up, man, we went deer hunting to fill the freezer. Cause otherwise we, you know, you sell the beef, you eat the venison. And, uh, so it's, it's been a change for me and, and it's been a good one and you get to see things and, and spend more time out there. Um, but I have a definite sliding scale, a bull that I would absolutely pass the first day or the first couple of days, man, last weekend, whoo, there's, you know, a, a, a spike elk that I wouldn't even consider shooting all season long, man, if, if it's the last day I'm hunting this year, don't test me. You know, Jason, I, I also am a big proponent of like, you know, telling guys, you know, you're passing 140s on a piece of ground that's never going to produce a 190. Like you're right. you're holding out for these for these deer that you see in books and in, on Instagram, but your piece of ground in southern Arkansas is never going to produce a 200 inch deer. So quit yeah. passing the 140s. Like, you know, people, you have to have realistic expectations as what your ground the 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 carrying capacity of deer that your ground has um you know here in kansas i have the chance to grow you know 180 inch deer but where i hunt with my folks in arkansas like i'm never gonna see a 200 inch deer so i'm i'm not gonna pass a 140 saying well he's not big enough you know um so you right. have to understand the the quality of deer where you're hunting i mean that that's the biggest thing for me is like people want to hold out for these deer and i'm like but you're hunting a piece of unmanaged ground uh, hold on you're hunting a piece of unmanaged public ground 
um, you know, in Mississippi, you're you're probably not gonna have a 200 walkout. Um, so don't pass the 140. That would be a fantastic deer for this area. Right. Yeah. If you're a bull hunter out there that's consistently killing bigger deer than everybody else around you, then you're 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 exactly. Bad, you know that you're a good bull hunter if you're consistently. And if they're 135s and 140s and everybody else is shooting 110s, then you're a good bow hunter and you can do the same thing in Iowa or Kansas. Yeah. End up living. Absolutely. You always have to adjust based on what the possibilities are. And uh, sometimes those can get inflated. I mean, I had to, I just saw some uh, social media posts from the Iowa Deer Classic and you watch the camera scroll down along all those bucks that were taken there. And once again, what planet was that on? You know, I mean, those whitetails were just incredible what they're killing. So uh, you can't go into, uh, you know, Georgia and figure you're going to kill a buck like that. It's just not going to. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I remember one time somebody walked into my house and they were like looking around at the deer and they're like, Oh, that's a nice, just a cool deer. That's a nice. Why'd you shoot that one? And I'm like, well, first off that was in Southern Arkansas, like deer, you know, average weight of a buck, a big buck's 150 pounds. Like, you know, whereas the rest of these deer you're looking at are Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, uh, that's Southern Arkansas. And that was a stinking giant for that area. And they're like, what do you mean? Like they had never, you know, really been outside of the, the core Midwest. And like, what do you mean it's a giant for that area? And I'm like, dude, like you don't understand, you know, how you have it here in Kansas. Like that's where I live now. And I'm like, you don't understand how you have it here in Kansas. Like down in Southern Arkansas, you know, 125 inch deer was a banger. And that was, you know, that that's a fantastic deer. I'm like, you know, that, that would be equivalent to me shooting a 175 here in Kansas. And they were like, Oh wow. I didn't even, I didn't even know it worked like that. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you can't use the same measuring stick everywhere in the country as, as far as successful hunt goes. Yeah. And the vast majority of people that meet you meet or come into your house don't know the difference. I mean, yeah. you'd shoot an average muskox and they wouldn't know whether that was a, a world record or if it was just exactly <laughs> difference. And uh, I have my deer slam hanging on the wall in the great room. And one of them's a, a cruise buck and and uh, a Kodiak a Sitka blacktail, and and then my Colombian blacktail, and the average guy comes in there and probably wonders why I mounted those small deer, because yeah. white tail and the mule deer they're little, but, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's all perception. But the number one thing uh, that everybody has to remember is we're out there. You're supposed to be trying to have fun. And uh, if you're not having fun, um, you're doing something wrong. And that that goes for being stuck on one particular animal. I've done that in Kansas. Yeah. I was after one buck for about seven years, and uh, it got to the point where it was it was uh, almost like a job, you know, <laughs> trying to kill this one deer every year. That's, that must just suck, you know. It's like gosh what are you doing today ah i gotta go to work i gotta yeah. go dig ditches for a sewer system and then somebody yeah. looks at you and you're like ah i gotta go to work i gotta go chase this giant buck yeah, yeah. one buck yeah 
Yeah, but you no, get but what you were saying one animal and and it can ruin your whole fall if uh, yeah. it, you know it depends on your attitude, but uh, you're supposed to be having fun. Well, perfect have, example. We were in um we were at the Grand Canyon and I had come back from the bathroom or whatever and my wife was like there's this giant bull elk right over here and I'm like, "Really?" And and you know, she's a, a Midwestern girl. She's never seen an elk in in the wild. And, uh, and, and so I run over there and I'm like, that's a, it's a raghorn. Like that's a tiny, tiny bull. But to her, it's like, it's an elk. It's giant. And then vice versa. You know, my dad has been a whitetail hunter his whole life. And I'll show him a picture of a coos deer, um, that, uh, Jim Willems killed. And I'm like, look at this stinking stud, dude. And he's like, that's a pretty small deer. And I'm like, no, that's a coos deer. And he's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, <laughs> just didn't, re- didn't, didn't register there. And, and, uh, you know, same with the, like the, the potential Chuck world record. I'm like, dad, look at this new potential world record. And he's like, how's that a new world record? And I'm like, well, you know, it just didn't for people who don't know, they don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, you talk about that, you know, those animals that inspire you and, uh, some of the ones that inspire me, I, I got one that uh, two two years now. So, so two years ago, I left elk camp um, in eastern Oregon, and I was heading home on a Monday. And I'm cruising up the highway at, you know, 60 miles an hour, 65, whatever it happened to be. And I look over to the left, and then kind of like – how you were explaining earlier, if something's, you know, out in the sun and just beautiful and gorgeous. And I look over and here in this little meadow off the side of the road, you know, probably 80, 85 yards off was this beautiful, gorgeous six point bull elk. And he's just, you know, this is the guy that I'd been chasing, you know, every weekend for a month. Not that particular one, but something like that. You know, beautiful representative of the species. And so that one kind of inspired me, you know, in the off season to, you know, shoot my bow a little bit more and and practice my calling just a little bit more. And then this last year I went and I I passed some bulls and uh, nothing big, but but I had some opportunities, passed some bulls, just, just weren't quite what I was looking for. And on my way home, I don't know if it's my spirit animal or something, but on my way home in that same exact spot was an elk that looked, I don't know if it was the same one or not, but I'll be darned if two years in a row on the same exact day, the day after season ended, this elk is in the same exact spot as I'm driving home with my truck loaded with camp. I just so that to me is one of those that, uh, that inspires me. Cause I'm like, man, I must spend a little bit more time there. I think before I leave next year. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, everybody's got their thing. You know, it's, I've always thought it was kind of funny. I'll be driving somewhere and there'll be a whole bunch of guys out in the field, putting up snow goose decoys at three in the morning. And I think to myself, what is the matter with them guys? And then I'm sure if they watched me belly crawl on a mule deer for seven hours in the rain, they would say, what is the matter with that idiot? You know? Hey, I've never met any goose hunter that doesn't have a couple wires crossed, though. Right, Jay? <laughs> hey, man. Hey, amen. 
They, hey. They're a different breed. Everybody's got their thing, you know. <sighs> There's something about that. I'm telling you, you know, and it's, it's, it is, it's, you got to be wired a little bit differently because it's, you know, for me, I'm like, okay, if I want to travel, you know, halfway across the country and hunt for seven days, do I want to maybe pull the trigger one time? Hopefully you hope to pull the trigger one time, or do I want to go out there? Do I want to shoot 50 of them a day for eight days in a row? So there's, you know, if now if ducks and geese tasted like deer and elk, yeah, you know, I think there'd be a lot more duck and goose hunters. You just need to start doing it with your bow, Jay. That's what you need to start doing. You know, <laughs> I took my bow up to Alberta. Was it three years ago? Or it was right? It was a year before COVID, and it just, I just never had. You know, some days you just know it's going to be a stomper. You're just you're going to shoot your fifty whites and and maybe some ducks and dark geese along the way, and you just know it's on. And we had some good hunts, but we just never had the ones that were just lined out for just, you know, just ultimate slaughter fest. And so I just, I took my bow with me. I just never took it out in the field. Hmm. Yeah. See, I think that would be fun. And I think if you're going to do that, you definitely have to be wired a bit different. Like you, you've got to be a little, little, you're a couple fries short of a happy meal if you're doing that, but it'd be fun. (laughs) Yeah, we're always looking for some kind of a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So so now when was the last time you were goose hunting? Oh man, that's been 12, 14 years ago. Now okay. my grandsons and my sons and my oldest grandson, Carson, he's big into the geese and stuff. And and he bow hunts too, but he does a lot of goose hunting and and bird hunting and i love there's nothing i love more than as far as bird hunting goes to have mallards coming into decoys and stuff i mean i just absolutely love that but but i'm on the road pretty much all fall and uh trying to be in two places at once and if i could ever figure out how to do that i'd really have a career (laughs) yeah no it's it's good it's i like to i like to do it all the the that's the probably the one of the worst things is that they all fall in the same time period so you're like oh well you know the summer gets here and it's nice things you can can on the west you get started early i mean we have seasons start in the middle of august and Mm -hmm. so we're we're diving in in august and about the time we're finished up with everything you know then it then the the midwest starts off and they're start start doing their whitetail stuff and kicks into the rut but you know you've got that your your duck and goose seasons are going out here we've got steelhead fishing and everything else so you just can't do See, it all that's my problem that's my problem with turkey hunters they talk like it's the greatest thing on planet earth and i'm like yeah but you throw that in the middle of the fall if if, no. if if your fired up turkeys were during the fall, you're telling me you would choose turkeys over whitetail or elk or mule deer or, <laughs> you know, they're all gung ho about it. But I'm like, I mean, it's fun and I enjoy going out and turkey hunting every year. But you throw that in the mix. I'm never choosing turkeys over big game. They just have their own time of year. That's the thing about turkeys that nobody likes watching it on TV or reading it in the magazine, but they love doing it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's fun, man. It is fun, but you know, you've got, got I've got buddies, and um, you know, they're like, "Oh, I've I've nailed down eleven states this year. I'm going to be turkey hunting in." And I'm like, "Why? 
Like it's a bird no matter where you go. Like whether you're in Kansas, Nebraska, Idaho, it's still just a turkey. Like, yeah, I don't. Okay, care. folks, it's Dylan at Pope Dash Young <laughs> So hey, I get a lot of hate over it. Don't direct I hate mail to me. Please direct it direct straight to Dylan. Actually, um, don't make it hate mail. If you think you can change my mind, I'll come home with you. you. Like, you know reach what? out. I, I just saw a thing the other day. I don't know. It must have been on Facebook because um, I'm on there so often. But I just <laughs> saw a thing the other day that that I believe it was Luke Combs just posted something yeah, about, too. you know, he that turkey hunting is his big deal. So, you know what, Luke? We would, we're, we're challenging you to come on the show and, and change my mind, represent turkey hunting as it were to be in the fall. If, if you had to pick between turkeys and everything else in the fall, which would you still be the turkey hunter or is it just time of year? Or maybe he's just a fair weather guy. He likes to hunt when he doesn't need a heavy coat. See, and when it comes to, to turkey season, I get asked, like, hey, you want to go on a turkey hunt? And I'm like, well, I can go on a turkey hunt or I can bolt down to Oklahoma and Texas and shoot as many hogs as I want in a day. So I can go to Nebraska and shoot one bird or I can jet down to Oklahoma and shoot 50 hogs in a weekend. Like, <laughs> I think I'm going to go kill hogs. I just hate getting outsmarted by something with a brain the size of a grape. Yeah, that's true, too. <laughs> turkeys, turkeys don't even know where they're going in the morning. How in the heck am I supposed to figure it out? Oh. <laughs> yeah. We need to put that on a T-shirt, Jay. If turkeys don't even know where they're going, how am I supposed to figure it out? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think I think why people like turkey hunting is it's, it's kind of like big game hunting, but you don't have to worry about the wind. So, like, <laughs> maybe that's a thing. It's like, you know, maybe the folks just aren't really into showering and keeping clean they can still kill turkeys but they're probably not going to go kill too much else we're going to make people mad really, yeah really hates turkey hunting cameraman oh yeah yeah absolutely despise it because you got to get up at three o'clock in the damn morning in order to get out in the woods boy they hate turkey hunting. Yeah. but a cameraman should also like the fact that they know exactly where that turkey is going to be shot right by that decoy like yeah. that's where you're going to shoot the turkey Right by that decoy. That's, uh, we don't have what, to worry about Pope and young turkeys either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that you know, we have every once in a while we have animals that come up and, and we think, hey, should, we, should these be in the book? And then, man, you would not believe. We just, it's like a cage match when people are talking about this stuff. And turkeys have not come up. Thank goodness, because we don't. We don't need a cage match over turkeys. That'd be terrible. Yeah. Trying to measure them. Yeah. That, uh, once again, oh, I got a 40 pound turkey. No, you didn't. <laughs> they measure the beard and the spurs and all that stuff, but there's so little difference from one to the other. I mean, in actual inches, you know, that it's, it's, uh, it'd be pretty hard to do. Yeah. You got their thing. Yeah. So if you had to pick one thing to chase, like, you know what, for the next three years, all I can do is chase one thing. What's it going to be? Elk. Okay. Elk are here. Everything else is down here. All right. Now, where, where do you live at? Where's Minnesota. home? Okay. I lived in North Dakota for about 40 years, but now I'm in uh, Western Minnesota on uh, a lake in Otter Tail County. I live on the lake. See, I, I would love my answer to be something like that. Elk, moose, you know, something cool. 
But I would have to make my answer something that I can hunt every day, like here in Kansas. Because if I say elk, then I only get to hunt, you know, twice a year because I got to travel, buy tags, you know, whatever. If you say whitetails, I can hit seven states in four hours, you know. Yeah. Well, he he said hunt hunt for the next three years. He didn't say how many days. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, not, Dylan. Not everybody chooses their hunts just because it's easy. Yeah. Hey, like, say, <laughs> I choose them because of opportunity. <laughs> hey. The thing with the elk is the bugling. I mean, uh, yeah. Hunts you don't get into a lot of bugling, but in Arizona, uh, fall before last, I have, that was my 35th elk hunt with a bow, and that's the most bugling I ever heard in, in my life in, in eight days or so. Wow. When you get that's a bull cool. screaming at 10 yards, you're not even sure you should be there at that moment because they are mad about something. And, uh, it's just so exciting and such a cool animal. And, and, um, this fall I'm going to be hunting Roosevelt elk with, uh, Larry D Jones and in Oregon. So I'm really looking forward to that. And I maybe try to sneak another elk hunt in between there. So I'll have me 37, 38 bow hunts for elk. So I'm nice. Pretty well addicted to that. That's now that's my neck of the woods. I, I grew up in, in Roosevelt or right, kind of right on the edge. If you, if I went, okay. went West, that was Roosevelt. If I went East, that was Rockies and, and uh, same thing with blacktails. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to Argentina for red stag and uh, possibly black buck and buffalo. And I, hunted, uh, I killed a red stag in New Zealand. I went down there just to see how they compared the elk and uh, they're cool. And the roar is cool. Uh, not as cool as a bull elk. Yeah. You know, they're just not the same animal. They don't respond to the call as well, but they are a cool animal. And I'm going to have a blast in Argentina because there's no elk down there. So, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. So here's a, here's a question we've got to ask because leading up to convention, we've, we've got the biggest convention raffle that we've had in, in Pope and young history. And so I don't know if you've got your tickets yet. If not, I think we've got some left, but we're going to ask everybody, you have your choice of these four hunts and, and we're going to give one, somebody's going to win one in on what is the 15th in Reno at convention. You do not have to be present to win, but you know, secretly, uh, selfishly, I guess we're, we're hoping somebody's there because there, I would imagine somebody's going to go crazy if we read their name. So choice number one, you have Yukon moose bow hunt. And I think it's a, a 10 day hunt with Don Lind choice. Number. Know. Yeah. Choice number two is mountain goat brown bear combo with Peter Barella. Choice number three is jumping across the pond to South Africa for lion, Cape Buffalo, sable, crocodile, and lioness. And that's with Motchweer, um, huge package they put together for us. Option four 
is with Rainy Pass Lodge. Steve and Denise Perrins, wonderful friends of ours. Um, and it is a doll sheep, brown bear, caribou, black bear combo. Which one of those four would you would you take? Steve Perrins, number one. Don Lynn, okay. number two. All right, there you go. That uh, I'll tell you what. There's not a bad hunt on that list. Yeah. They're they're all like somebody's bucket list hunt. Yeah, and yeah, Don Lynn. He's the guy that broke my moose curse. I killed a killed a bull with him uh, a few years back, and uh, he runs a great operation. He's just a heck of a good dude. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, we're excited about that. I'm gonna we're going to make somebody's decade when we announce that winner and then we're going to break somebody's heart because they're going to have to choose and let three of those hunts go. It's going to be going to be interesting. So I still don't know which one I, I bounce back and forth between the, the, the rainy pass just because parents are just amazing people. And I, I've, I've heard so much about it. And you, know, you talk to people who have been there, Jack Frost, and, and there's just nothing that they don't have to say that, I mean, it's just all positive. And, and with a lot of them with, you know, Peter and, and Don as well. But the other one is that Africa hunt. I, there's just, some of those animals are just not, you know, for, for me, those are just not attainable. I don't see myself going in and with a big stack of cash and dropping money on a, on a lion hunt at, at the show. But man, if you could win it, that's, there's just, I don't know the, the, the potential there, the possibilities are kind of neat. So you're drawing four winners. We're just drawing one. Oh, just one. Yeah. Just one winner. So somebody has to choose between those four. Although Dallas Smith just uh, his he just threw the gauntlet down on last week's podcast and, and he says that coming up he wants to see us do a similar raffle where we have four winners and I'm like I, I'm I'm willing to do that we just couldn't cap the number of tickets where we did Cause we they're only hundred dollar tickets and we limited it to fifteen hundred so you've got a you know pretty good odds of of drawing it for, for something like that. Yeah. That's not bad at all. I saw, you know, I went to the whole show season this year and I didn't, I didn't see anywhere where, where anybody had odds that were any better than that for that price of ticket. So, Mm -hmm. um, especially not for those, those caliber of hunts. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, the other one we're doing is, uh, have you ever hunted with Chuck Adams? No, I have not. Okay. Person stuff, but I've not hunted with them. Okay. Yeah. That's the other one that, that we're excited about is, is we've got another raffle that is, uh, an Oklahoma whitetail at Liberty ranch, fully guided hunt. And you get to spend, uh, a week in camp with Chuck Adams. Mm-hmm. So I'd imagine there's some, some, uh, some knowledge to be gained from that experience. Yeah. So. Absolutely. So anyway, we're we're excited about that. Trying to give people opportunities to go do things that they might not otherwise have an opportunity for. Mm-hmm. Um, another question is, is: You've hunted all over the place and have had a lot of uh, access to to probably some of the latest and greatest equipment throughout your career. When you find yourself up on the mountain or in a tree stand, what's 
It's one piece, like a non-traditional item that you would find in your pack. Um, you mean like a piece of gear that you wouldn't think uh, other than a bow and arrow and that kind of stuff? Yeah, about? you know, it can't be a knife or, or binoculars, but, you know, what's what's something that you, you take with you on a hunt? Like, what's... Dylan, what are some of our favorites? Bacon was at the top of the list. Bacon, uh, Uncrustables. Yeah. Um, Snacks seem to come up often. Often, yeah. In this question. Um, Some Um, useful ones uh, was Remy Warren's big uh, uh, trash bag. Trash bags, Uh, yeah. I've started using that. Um, uh, Chuck Adams said half of a book. (laughs) Yeah, half Um, of a book. So you Uh can tear it in half and give your, your other partner the other half of your book. Your hunting part yeah. in the other half of your book. Oh, um, yeah, we, did um, have, we did have somebody say that they, they didn't want to go up without Tiffany Lukoski, but that yeah. was Lee. So we let that one slide. <laughs> he's uh, he's off the hook for Valentine's Day for the next 10 years because he literally yeah. said it with her in the room. So yeah. he may well, be the smartest. I've been doing, since I've been doing this for 40 plus years. I think one of the most useful and indispensable items, uh, small type items that have come out in the uh, last couple decades is a high quality LED headlamp. Okay. Because in the old days, I can remember gutting a bull elk with a mini mag sticking out of my mouth <laughs> and trying to, to gut an elk because all we have is little flashlights. Yeah. And drop it one time and the bulb was out. And now these LED headlamps, the bulbs are indestructible. And uh, if you get caught somewhere in the dark and you don't have a light, you're pretty much sitting there. And yeah. let's see if you're in high country and stuff like that. I actually carry two. I have a backup and uh, I don't go anywhere without my LED headlamp and a spare release. Because without my release, I'm carrying a club. Actually, you had uh, pictures this year, a uh, guy from Alaska. Duke, if you're listening, shout out to you. Um, I've got pictures of him on a game camera going into a ground blind at, uh, I don't know, two in the afternoon. And then I've got a picture of him coming out of that ground blind about three in the afternoon when he realized he forgot his release. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. about an hour later, I got a seven by seven standing within 20 yards of that of that ground blind <laughs> and it was uh it was his elk to to kill so he got an elk but he didn't get that elk and uh, <laughs> it was one of those things where man that's just you know we say it all the time you're not going to kill him sitting on the couch so you're not going to kill him if you leave your equipment in the truck either yeah yeah but so, packed for so many hunts and so many trips over the years uh my system is all based around a list so i have lists for every kind of hunt driving whitetail hunts flying whitetail hunts nice moose and then i just re revise it as each day or each hunt comes by adding like bow mounted decoy or like i'm going to take a bow mounted elk decoy down to argentina just to see if it'll work oh nice messed up oh red stack so I'll see that'd be that. interesting to hear about. That's, That'd be cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very that's nice. supposed to be the peak of the roar. So, uh, 
that'll be something I think uh, the, the cowboys down there, gauchos in Argentina, will probably think I'm insane, but I've had people think that about me before. So I'm just yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. I, won't be the first. Go won't no be the last. Huh? No. Yeah. I've had a couple so. cameramen quit on me because I crawled in the rain too long or laid in the grass too long. And uh, uh, their motivation is different. Yeah. Well, Kurt, I, I sure appreciate you joining us today. And uh, look hold, hold on, to, Jay, we got one more question. Oh, we do. Let's hear it. We got, we got one more question, a big question. Kurt, for that, for that person who's never been to convention, they've never attended a Pope and Young convention, what would be, if you were to say, hey, like these are the three biggest reasons I go, like you have to go for these three reasons, what would those three reasons be? Well, starting with number three, it would be to see all the animals and uh, use that for motivation. You guys got uh, always have a massive display of animals that are just incredible. That would be number three. Number two would be to see all the friends that I've made over, I don't know how many conventions I've been to, dozens. And uh, to see all the friends that I've made at the previous conventions and see how they're doing. But number one reason would be to make new friends because uh, that, and when you meet people of like mind, same energy, same commitment, it, uh, it helps you sort of advance your, uh, your, your, I don't know, I don't really want to call it a sport, but you, you become a better bow hunter because you meet people that are into it as much as you are. And uh, I use the North Dakota Bow Hunters Association as a sort of uh, example. Uh, back in the early 80s, I joined that and went to some tournaments, 3D shoots, and got to meet some guys. And they kind of got me into hunting, bow hunting elk and stuff. And we all kind of hunted together. And next thing you know, uh, uh, I killed my first elk. And it leads to me writing a first article. And then I end up on the, in the best job on the planet. And I give the North Dakota Bow Hunters Association some credit for that because I was with like-minded people. And the Pope and Young Convention is the same thing. You get there and you could be sitting next to uh, Frank Noska or Chuck Adams or Tom Miranda at lunch. Uh, and uh, you can shoot the breeze with these guys. You can meet people that are at their first convention as well. And uh, next thing you know, you're talking about hunting and you're maybe having a beer and uh, you're, you might even be planning a hunt or you're getting some good advice. So there's uh, many things that can come out of a convention. And usually what you see is once a guy has gone to his first one, uh, he's usually figuring out when the next one is in the next two years. So um, there's a lot more to it than just going around and gawking at some animals. Uh, yeah sure. no that's great thank you thanks that's puts things into perspective because we're we're out there doing everything we can to make it just a fantastic opportunity for everybody from from vendors and outfitters and and corporate partners that that are coming in to display stuff to the um, the animal display is going to be unlike anything we've ever had even the display itself is going to be completely different this year so it's uh yeah. we're real working really hard and it's neat to hear the perspective of that, you know, come, come for the people too. 
Yeah, and and you know, as a bull, whether you hunt bull with a bull or you hunt geese or whatever you do, um, if you're into it that serious, you need to be looking for ways to give back. And uh, um, the Pope and Young Club is the place to do that for the bull hunter. I mean, there is no other place other than your state yeah. organizations, and you should be a member of those too. Um, but the Pope and Young Club, it's like Ducks Unlimited or, you know, uh, and NWTF. Um, if you're serious enough about it, you should be looking for ways to not only get better, but give back. And uh, Pope and Young Club is one way to do that. And a lot of people think it's just record-keeping organization. But we all know that it's so much more than that. And uh, you have to go and discover that for yourself. And the Pope and Young Convention is the best place to do that. No, that's great. Thanks. Thanks, Kurt. We're, uh, like I said, we're working hard to make it a great show. And and the people there, like you mentioned, once you've been once, you're ready for the next one because it's just a neat opportunity. And plus that, I'll be speaking at the Friday luncheon. So there's one reason, one more reason to come. There's one more reason, and we sure appreciate it. So, well, hey, uh, you have a great, great trip to Argentina. Can't wait to hear those stories when uh, when we all get to Reno here coming up shortly. All right. I'll be there. Right. Thanks, Kurt. See you, Jason and Dylan.